Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him to continue to bless our time together, okay? Lord, we're so thankful that we get to come together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we get to worship you, that um, you've made a way for us to come into your presence through your son, Jesus. And it's through coming into a relationship with you, God, through Jesus, we have freedom now, freedom from sin, uh, freedom from ourselves. Um, And so, Lord, we are so thankful that we can worship in that freedom if we know Christ. Lord, we, we do want to lift up our brothers and sisters right now that are sick, that are battling disease, recovering from surgery. Lord, just be with them. Bless them, Lord. Strengthen their bodies. Touch their bodies. Heal them. Restore them to health, Lord. Lord, bless their caregivers. Help them to be strengthened for the task they have. And Lord, we... Um, Lord, just bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted in our church, those that are really struggling right now, um, those that maybe don't have a job, Lord, Lord, we just pray that you'd bless them with a job. And uh, Lord, we just uh, ask that you would bless us with your presence in a special way here as we meet. And we ask, Lord, that our, Holy, our spirit would be open to your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Lord, may we desire for you to speak to us and then willingly obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about footwear today. You know, um, gospel shoes in particular is what we're talking about as we've been going through the different uh, parts of the armor of God. And the gospel shoes of peace. This is a really interesting piece of the armor today. Um, I do want to do, uh, I'm going to read through the passage here. And, and if you guys are able to, why don't you stand and let's read it together today. Let's read it aloud together. Let's hear the word of God. Let's hear each other say it. All right. This morning. So let's go ahead and read this. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Thought it might be good to just do a really 
quick recap of what we've covered so far in this section, the very first message that we had was this idea of be strong in the Lord. You remember that? We have to fully rely on God. If we're going to fight the spiritual battles, the battle that we are in, uh, acknowledge it or not, we are, as believers, in a spiritual battle. Our enemy is Satan. And then we, we talked about the second message, our enemy, the devil. And we talked specifically about what were some of his schemes, some of his devices that he uses to try to trip us up. Okay? And then we got into the first piece of armor, which was the belt of truth. And we said what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are well-versed in what the Scriptures say, that we're solid in our doctrine, that we're continually, in a sense, lifelong learners of growing in our understanding of God, how He has revealed Himself in the Bible. And that also, do we not want to know the truth, but is it is a defense, if you will, for us to walk in the truth, okay? Uh, we will be able to stand against our enemy, the devil, uh, in our walk with Jesus if we are living out the truth, not just believing things, not being able to just spit back information about God, but walking in the truth, okay? And so that's part of the belt of truth. And then last week, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, covering our vital organs is that key component that the righteousness of Jesus has been put to our account. We walk in a righteousness that's not our own, that comes to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith. So we talked a lot about that, how um, the enemy loves for us to doubt God and doubt what Jesus did sometimes or doubt that it was good enough to cover us, you know. And so we talked about that. And so now... Now we come to the, uh, the feet, the feet of the Roman soldier. And so now if you do some research on this, um, modern warfare would have things like, um, what do they call those? Landmines. In those days of the Roman soldiers, they had little spikes they would make out of wood and put them in the ground so that some soldier might just happen upon it without their feet shod with the proper footwear. And so we need to see that it's just as dangerous for us to not have our feet, as it says, shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. All right? This is critical. Uh, so we need to learn, you know, as it says, here's the verse, verse 15. That's what we're focusing in on is this uh, verse. It says, And as for shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isn't that an interesting way to phrase it? Having, and this is the ESV, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I want to really talk about two things today. Two things, and one is, is the key word would be steadiness. Steadiness. The second one would be readiness, okay? And we can't get to readiness unless we have the steadiness, okay? Think about feet. Just to, There's a lot of things you can do with your feet, but one thing is you can stand against something, someone, 
Stand against your enemy, right? If you don't have good footing, you can't stand, right? And so we have to learn how to be steady uh, in our gospel of peace shoes. And we're going to talk about that. And then the other thing is then we have to be able to move with the gospel of peace. And our feet are made for walking and getting us from point A to point B. And when it comes to the gospel of peace, we have to move out. Okay? So we're going to talk about those two things. Now, when it comes to this first thing here, steadiness, this idea of steadiness, to stand firm, I must be confident where I stand in my relationship with God. Okay? We can't be ready uh, with the gospel of peace until we are steady and steadfast in understanding Am I confident in my walk with God? Am I sure I'm a believer? That kind of a thing. Some people call this assurance, okay? And this is important. Now, um, before we uh, look up some of those verses, I do want to talk about this because that phrase, gospel of peace, is important. And uh, I'm just going to lay this out very simply here. The gospel of peace is like A, B, C, okay? Um, A is for accept. The gospel of peace says you must accept the facts like the following. We are sinners, okay? That's a fact, okay? Um, That is true. We have to accept also that there's a penalty for that sin. The wages of sin is death, it says, and not just death spiritually or death uh, uh, physically, but spiritually, separated from God from all eternity in hell. That's a fact. We have to accept that. And then we also have to accept the fact that God made a way and offered his son Jesus as a gift to us, an offering of, for sin for us on the cross. We have to accept that. We have to declare that and accept it. Now, so we must be- accept these things. And then, of course, excuse me, B is for believe, which means we have to believe that Jesus has done something to take care of our sin, that he actually is the one and only one who could take care of our sin um, to be uh, there nailed on the cross for us. Uh, He died on the cross in our place for our sins over 2,000 years ago. Yet, that death and then subsequent resurrection has been changing lives every day since then to anyone who accepts and believes this, okay? So what is the C? The C is really just come to Jesus, okay? You got to accept these truths. You got to believe it in your heart, and you got to realize that coming to Jesus is the only way this is going to get taken care of. Jesus went around preaching the good news, the gospel of peace message, and he was bidding people to come to him. Because it was only going to be through him that they and we would ever experience peace with God. And this is important to realize. There is no other way under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the way of Jesus. This is critical. We have to, coming to Jesus is believing that too. It's not it's like he's one of many ways. He is the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So that is, that's the ABCs of the gospel of peace, okay? 
And let me just mention this verse here as I get back to this uh, other slide that we had up there about this idea of steadiness. Uh, Ephesians 2, 14 to 16 really does explicitly state for us that Jesus himself is our peace, okay? We're talking about the gospel of peace. I just want to give you a few verses here in Ephesians that really talk about that Jesus is himself that peace, okay? All right, so Ephesians 2, 14 to 16 says, for he himself, meaning Jesus, he himself is our peace. He's speaking to believers. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this dividing wall of hostility was, you know, primarily between God and man, but also between Jew and Gentile and between the races. There was uh, hostility, okay? And so what the uh, Paul is saying here to the Ephesians is that, you know, the gospel of peace <clears throat> gives us peace with God, but he's also going to bring, can bring, if we allow it, peace with each other. He goes on and he says, verse 15, so how did, the, how did God accomplish this breaking down the dividing wall between us and God and, and, and one another? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. One new man in place of the two. So, making peace, and it says, and, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so, this is, this is what's going on here is Jesus Christ himself is our peace, knowing him, accepting him, like we said in the ABCs, makes us at peace with God, and then actually allows us to have the tools, if you will, the power, if you will, to pursue peace with each other, okay? And so this is the gospel of peace. And, and so let me just leave you here with a couple more things on this one point about steadiness. You, you cannot, you and I as believers cannot stand in battle against our enemy, the devil, unless we are secure in our relationship with him, with God, okay? So let me mention to you a few scriptures, I think, that will help you in having confidence if you have accepted those ABCs, if you are a Christian. Listen to this. 1 John 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't say that you might wonder, that you might guess or hope. He really does give a word of certainty here, okay? And the writer of 1 John in this verse is giving us really the purpose statement of that letter. The book of 1 John was written so that you and I could have a confidence that we are truly believers. If you read through that very short letter, he'll th say things like, you know, if I say I love God, then I'll love my brother and sister. If I say I love God, then I'll keep his commandments. I mean, that, it's just a, he's showing these relationships. If I say this, then this will generally be true about my life. It doesn't mean it will be perfect, but there's a trajectory of those things. Obedience to God, love for my brother and sister, 
And that letter, it's written like in a circular fashion. You seem like, he seems like saying the same thing over and over and over again, but it's in a, in a slightly different way. But I just want to say this. You can know, you can know that you have a real relationship with God through Jesus. You can know and have confidence. That's what that verse says. Now, another reason that you can know, not just the fact that the verse says that, but we can know and have confidence in our relationship with God and we're in right standing with him because he made a promise. Many promises. Let me just give you one of them. Um, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, but to all who receive him, meaning Jesus, to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's a promise. So the only conditions for someone being made right with God and becoming a child of God, having eternal life, is to receive Christ and believe in his name. Believe in who he said he was. I mean, right? That's, that's what it is. And so if, if A, then B. If I do, then I am, present tense, right now, a child of God. Okay, that's a wonderful promise. You can take that to the bank. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. This is true if you have accepted Christ, okay? Don't let the devil tell you any different, okay? Because God keeps his promises. Though we break our promises, God never does, okay? And if you have received Christ and believe in his name, rest assured you are, are a child of God, okay? Now, if that wasn't enough, I've got one more for you. Um, just this idea that we're, we're secure in Jesus' hands. This John chapter 10, John chapter 10, in that, in that section, he starts talking about how, you know, we are the sheep of his pasture kind of thing. And, and, and so it says here in verse 27, John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Isn't that cool? You know, so if, if, if you're a believer you're a Christian, Jesus is like, I know you, and you hear my voice. I, I can communicate with you. I love that. And then he says, I give them eternal life. So if you're one of his sheep, <laughs> you have eternal life. Present tense, right now. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying, you know, he's saying, if you're my sheep, you follow me, I give you eternal life, and you'll never perish, meaning, you know, eternally, okay? Our bodies, we're going to get new bodies, we know that, unless the Lord comes back before that. And then we'll get the new bodies, okay? But he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can take one of Jesus' sheep. And then, as if that wasn't enough, in verse 29, he says, my father, we're pulling the daddy card here, okay? My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's. So Jesus has got you, and he says, and if you don't believe that, well, he doesn't say that, but just the idea that God's got you, and no one can take them out of the Father. That's security. 
Okay? That's security. Okay? And I and, and so you have to the devil's really going to play some head games if you don't have this confidence. Okay? And you will be rendered ineffective. Okay? As a soldier. So just rest assured, if you have put your faith in Christ, he's got you. You're secure in your faith because of what Christ has done, and God keeps his promises. Okay, so that's the, that's the, the fact that we got to be steady in our shoes of gospel of peace. Your relationship with God, you must be confident in that based on what God has done, not what you are doing. And that's a mystery. Now, this whole piece of the armor, like I said before, is really about the readiness, the readiness, the being ready with the gospel of peace. And I do think it's really cool how there, in a lot of the, when, I, when you read about this and study it, uh, many cross references. If you have a Bible with cross references, cross I can say that cross references will link you to Isaiah fifty-two, verse seven, and then also usually to another verse. I think in Romans ten, which is actually quoting the Isaiah verse. And listen to what the Isaiah fifty-two seven says, and think about this in light of our feet being shod, as it's called with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You see, the writer there is speaking of Someone, a messenger coming to give good news. Well, that's what gospel means. Gospel means good news, right? The good news of the gospel, really kind of redundant, really, because gospel is good news because it tells us how to have peace with God. Solves a problem we couldn't solve, right? And so that is good news. Now, as you, this idea of how beautiful are the feet, of the one bringing good news. If you, if you research this, sometimes you, you'll find these accounts of, of uh, back in these Roman times where they would send messengers to the battle lines to try to find out, give us the report. Are we winning or are we losing? And you'll even find people's writing about the fact that sometimes when the messenger came back with a bad report, they'd beat that poor boy. And it just makes you wonder if that's how they came up with don't shoot the messenger because they're just telling you what happened. But some of the watchmen on the wall looking for the runners to come back would be able to tell almost what kind of news it was by how they were running. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. The good news here being the gospel of peace. And we're talking about, again, what is the piece of armor? What is this piece of armor as it's stated there in verse 15? And it says, and as shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's a readiness. Am I ready? Remember how I said the the two, two uses for feet we're talking about? One is the steadiness. The other one is kind of mobility. It's being able to move and take the gospel of peace to places, to people. Okay. So that's this readiness. Readiness to communicate and take the gospel is a part of our armor. Now, one of the verses here that's mentioned and shown up there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, also reminds me of this idea of readiness that's mentioned in Ephesians 6.15. Listen to what it says. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I mean, set him apart. He's the Lord of your heart. And then it says, always being prepared, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so here we have in here just this idea of being prepared, being ready with the gospel of peace, because he says to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Implied in that, in that is that they understand that you have a hope, that they somehow see you have some kind of a hope that they do not have. Otherwise, why would they be asking you about it, right? So we need to realize that, that you know, we have to... We have to embody our faith that shows that we actually do have a hope, a hope beyond this life, right? And believe me, people are looking for hope now more than ever. And you and I, as believers, have that hope that we can share with them. And the question is really, will I say something about it? Here, this verse talks about, you know, saying something about it when you're asked about it. But there are plenty of other places that do talk about being public with your faith, right? Communicating it, right? Um, when I think about Romans chapter 1, verse 16, very common verse talking about the gospel. It says, Paul says this, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, the only reason you would be tempted to, to be ashamed is if you were being public about it. And, you know, if you're all quiet and secret about it, there's nothing to be ashamed of because nobody knows that you got something to maybe be ashamed about. You know what I mean? I'm saying there's an implication here of being public with your faith. This idea that faith is a private thing is a bunch of baloney. Okay, in the scriptures, we are urged time and time again to be public with our faith. How's anybody going to know what the hope is unless we can actually communicate it? And that's the key. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Paul says, because it is the power of God. And that's what I, I just keep thinking about is how I have to really Ask God to embed that phrase in my heart that the gospel is the power of God. 
that that message, that a, those ABCs, that message has the power of death and life eternally. Can change the trajectory of someone's eternity by delivering that message. That's, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. Think about all the people that God sprinkled in your life, if you're a believer, and put you in positions, in families or in work environments or whatever, that put you in a position to hear the message. And then if you believed it, you know, you think about that. That message changed your life. If it didn't, something's wrong, <laughs> okay? It has, not, it has not only changed your destiny, it's changing what's going on in your life right now, how you see life. And we have to really see this is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, um, I think really in this part of the message, the thing that I really want us to get is the heart, the heart of God for people. Uh, it's not about browbeating each other up to say, you know, did I share the gospel this week, whatever. But that we might have a heart for people and see that everyone is either on their way, if you will, to the highway of heaven or the highway of us really just what there's no plans there's no path c okay and and that to to think about people in that manner helps us really grip with what is real and and so i i guess i'm hoping that in me and in us as a church that what the Lord will do if we get a hold of this is give us a heart that's sensitive to His desire for us to be involved. Involved in reaching people. Involved with the people around us that He has placed us around. There is no such thing as some kind of accidental encounter. Acts chapter 17 clearly tells us that God has placed us in these times and in these places right now. He, he meant for us to be living during COVID-19. This is not an accident that we are here now. And so we ought to be asking then, how God, how God should I live now? You have me here. You have me next to my neighbor. You have me with, at work with this person. You have me with this family member. Lord, how do you want to use me in their life in a gospel way to get the gospel of peace to them? I want to share a little story with you. It's not to puff myself up because let me tell you, there have been many times I've chickened out in sharing the gospel, many times. I'm no way perfect in this area. Uh, and I am not an evangelist. I, do not have, I don't believe I have the gift of evangelism. Um, but I do know that God calls us all to be witnesses, okay? In fact, Acts 1.8 talks about how we've been called to be witnesses. 
And so one day, shortly after I became a believer, the first summer that I was home, back in the big town of Fletcher, and uh, in this case, I was actually in the town of Troy. But I, I had run out of gospel tracts to pass out. I had been, When I was running errands, I'd sometimes just pass out gospel tracts, you know, and stuff. And um, I ran out of tracts. And I said, well, I guess I don't have to do that anymore. And the Lord kind of, in my heart, did one of these. You could write one. Well, that's not you, Lord, is it? That's not you. And I, you know, you started having this little little battle was going on. Like I, I was like, and by the way, this is you know, I didn't hear an audible voice, whatever. God can do that if He wants. He can do anything He wants. It was just this impression I had that God wanted me to just write the simple four, what's become to know like the four spiritual laws, or whatever that you know we're sinners in need of a Savior, like the ABCs. Just by hand. I mean, this track was, it was the ugliest thing you'd want to see. So then, then I just knew that God wanted me to pass it out to somebody, to give it to somebody. And this, I, I was, I look back on that situation now, which I'll, I'll tell you what happened, but I look back on that now, and this was not about, at, at this time, to, to my life, this was not about that one person. I was going to receive the uh, most hideous track they'd ever received. It was about, would Greg obey? That's what it was about. Would I obey what I knew he clearly wanted me to do? That day I did. I went to the Marsh's parking lot. Marsh's is a grocery store and still there, I think, in Troy. It's like a IGA, if you remember those. Kind of like that, a little bit bigger probably. But, um, And it was like... I was so scared, man. I was just, I was, I was a chicken. The lady coming out of the grocery store, coming out by their car, you know, they, I don't know what I was thinking. This lady probably thought I was, you know, coming to attack her or something. I just went like, here, you don't want one of these, do you? You know, spoken like a true salesman. You don't want one of these, do you? You know? <laughs> and she took it. Don't know what she did with it. Might have been laying beside the car before she got in. I don't really know. But I just knew that God wanted me to step out and do that. And the thing I want to just, the reason I share that story with you is I'm just asking you, the Lord is asking, actually, the Lord, I know the Lord is asking you, will you do what he's calling you to do in this area? It's no different than any area of obedience. And this is, and so um, this is not like the once a year, like guilt trip evangelism message. Okay, this is just saying, this is what God has called us to. The gospel, uh, being ready, readiness, the readiness of the gospel of peace is part of the armor. And that passage says, put on everything except for the gospel of peace. No, it says, put on what? The full armor. The full armor. And this this is what he calls us to. And so, I just pray that God would give us a heart to say, God, and I'll tell you what, every one of us, I'm sure, unless, you're an, unless you have the gift of evangelism, unless you're an evangelist, is going to say, this is something I can work on. This is something I need to step out and believe God for. I'm confident of that because I just know people. I know myself, you know? 
And so, so this is what he's calling us to, is to do this, to speak up. You know, I've, I, I've messed up in this area so many times. I've, and sometimes when I've spoken up, I was not very nice about it. I remember first, when I first time I came home, man, I really laid into my mom for something, um, spiritually speaking, but, and that was wrong for me. Uh, I remember admitting that later on, that I should not have come across the way I did, was very judgmental. Actually, I'm convinced my mom prayed me into the kingdom. I had no, no business <laughs> talking to her like that, all high and mighty. But it was a newfound faith. I was very zealous and I wanted to, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, that verse there in 1 Peter 3.15 says, in gentleness, with gentleness and respect, okay? That's important. We, we're not here to beat anybody up. We just got to say, we've got some great news to tell you. We'd love to tell you. And um, so part of this readiness, let me give you something real practical here. You should, I think, be able to communicate your faith story in a very simple way to somebody, okay? Just, you know, the very, you know, what was your life like before Christ? What were the events that kind of led you up to accepting him? And what's it like now? And don't, don't pretend it's all roses now, okay? Be real but show what God has done. That kind of a thing. Be able to communicate that in a few minutes. Um, and and there's, a, there's a brother at Linworth Road Church, our mother church there, that has written a book on how, a way that you can go about writing up your story, if you would like. His name is um, Doug Riggle. I forget the name of the book, but I think it's the only one he's written. If you go on Amazon, you can buy it. Um, it's not very expensive, and I know my wife, Linda, she wrote up a little teeny gospel tract. It's like a little square like this that unfolds and just tells her short story. It's a conversation piece, really, and um, you don't have to write it up and print it up. I'm just saying you need to be able to share it. Um, you know, oftentimes as you're talking with people, as you and I are talking with people, um, Again, isn't part of being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you is part of it, I think, is sharing your story. And then, of course, the other part, is, even more important than your story, is God's story of salvation, those ABCs. And so I think the readiness comes from being prepared to share your story. If you don't know how to share your story, um, you need to sit down and think about that. You need to reflect on how you came to faith, Okay. Some people, it's very gradual. You know, some people, it's just dramatic. It's just incredible. I mean, it's like, you know, but it doesn't matter how it is. At some point, you had, you know, even if you grew up in a Christian home and went to church, you, you were, every time church doors were open, you were there. At some point, that faith has to become personal to you, right? And you just talk about that. And so, that's critical. That's important. Now, the other thing I want to mention here in this is this Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So there's the preparation. It's almost like the preparation so far I've talked about. The readiness is kind of like being ready to deliver something, right? Deliver your story, deliver God's story of salvation. But now I want to talk, this verse, I want to talk about, gets back to that heart issue of realizing and acknowledging acknowledging that God is at work wherever you're going. And this is, this is like, uh, some people have called this like having your spiritual antennas up, being filled with the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you need to be filled with Spirit anyway. 
but when you're talking to people, think about this verse. This verse we should think about. It says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That part of the verse, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, turn that into a prayer, okay? I'm meeting with Caleb. We're getting together. We're talking, you know, and I'm like, Lord, give me wisdom here. Help me know how to relate to Caleb. Lord, you know, if there's things he's saying that I, I should be sensitive to kind of dive into and maybe say, tell me more about that, Caleb. You know, one thing I do know, people love to talk about themselves, okay? If there's one thing that's very universal, for the most part, people love to talk about themselves. So you need to be the master of questions. Just ask all kinds of questions. That's one thing I really learned. You know, some people can poo-poo doing door-to-door evangelism. Uh, I did this in the dorms all the time before they shut that down. Um, but, but one thing I, I learned to ask a lot of questions. Not just spiritual questions, just questions to relate to somebody. Conversation. And, and so in doing so, you come and say, and it's almost like you have, I think, these little Nehemiah-type prayers, right? When you read the book of Nehemiah, and it talks about how he was in the presence of the king, and then it's, it gives us the impression there that, he was pray, that Nehemiah was praying to God as the king and he were talking. So you can pray without your lips. Obviously, you can pray in your head. But as you're gathering together with someone, it says, have wisdom towards outsiders, those who are not of the faith, or you don't know if they're in the faith, okay, is, is to have conversation. Lord, give me wisdom here. Dial me into a need. And by the way, I hope you're hearing in this conversation, in this message from me, is not some kind of a, um, a thing that's like looking for another spiritual notch on your belt. Hey, man, I shared the gospel today. Look at me. Look how good I am. Got a, got a notch in that baby, you know? Or like it's some kind of a project. This person is a project. No, that's not it. No, this is someone who God created in his image and loves, and he's put me in their place, like where they are. And I know that God is working, and so, Lord, give me wisdom. How can I bless them? Do they need prayer for something? You know, especially if this is somebody that you regularly encounter, you know, this could just be an ongoing conversation, you know, uh, that where spiritual things come up and stuff like that, you know. And so, but it really, nothing's going to happen. I shouldn't say that. Most things are not going to happen without some kind of intentionality. I, I remember my, I think it was my brother-in-law said, I'm pretty sure this was him. He said, I find that the more I share the gospel, the more people get saved than when I don't. Like, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of master of the obvious. People usually don't come up to me and say, how must I be saved? Just out of the blue. There's only one time where anything ever came close to that. And I actually knocked on the door. And after they opened the door and they saw what I was doing, said, oh, come on in. We want to know how to be saved. They said that. It's the only time that ever happened. One time in 30 plus years. So it's not going to happen probably to you. You have to be intentional. God wants us to have this attitude. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Where do we, where's that wisdom going to come from? God. How are you going to get it? Ask for it. Proverbs all over the place. I hear it crying out for wisdom. 
And so as you are with people, you ask the Lord for wisdom. And he says, so he says, walk, again, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, it says, let your speech always be gracious. Is your speech gracious with the people you're with? Is it loving? Is it kind? Is it giving? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So isn't this interesting? He says, as you're with outsiders, those who are outside the faith, or you don't know where they are spiritually, ask for wisdom so that you can know how to speak. This goes right with that, James, you know, be be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? Don't be so quick to talk. Do some listening, praying, and then ask for wisdom, and then ask the Lord to help you be gracious in your speech so that you can bless them. And whether it's the day that the gospel gets delivered or you share your story or it's just some other action the Lord prompts you to do, you got to be willing. You got to be intentional. That's just it. I mean, this is, you know, I don't think this is rocket science. This is really more of a, a heart and a willingness on our part to love people and to realize being ready with the gospel of peace and then eventually hoping to get to share it at some point is the most loving thing you could ever do for any soul. The most loving thing. And so this whole, whole thing about the readiness the readiness, right, with the gospel of peace is acknowledging, you know, the gospel is the power of God. And acknowledging that God has put you in certain places with certain people. And that's not an accident. And praying Colossians 4, 5, and 6. That, that really takes a willingness God's not going to make you do it. We need to be willing. We need to be willing. Um, so, two images come to mind when I think about this particular verse that we looked at today, uh, Ephesians 6.15. The, the fireman's boots with the pants there. Why do they do that? Do they not know how to fold their clothes? They want to be ready. They're in the job of putting out the fires and saving lives. They want to be ready. They take great pains to make sure those engines are working at top notch. They make sure all the maintenance is done on a schedule. They clean their trucks. They got their boots ready. They are ready. This verse, Ephesians 6.15, is a call to readiness. It's part of the armor. It's not like an optional piece. It's not, it's not like it has an optional in parentheses. This is something God calls us to. It's important. It's part of the battle. But then you've got this lifesaver over here. Why is that there? It's there to remind 
me, to remind you, to remind our church what makes us different than anybody else. What makes the church different than any other institution, if you will, in existence? I want to share a story with you. I heard it read years ago. Um, I think it was at a Promise Keepers event, and I just want to read it. It's, it'll speak for itself. It's a fictional story. It says, On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought of themselves, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with this station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of the work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So, they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So, they hired a lifeboat crews to do that work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations. And there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club's invitations, initiations were held. And about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought its uh, boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. And the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life in the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save lives of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, 
but most people drown. Now, I hope you get the idea that the church is supposed to be a life-saving station. We are supposed to shod our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. That is our business. Now, out of that should come, yes, doing good, fighting for justice, all those things. Yes, but let me tell you what, we cannot forget we are a life-saving station. That's the only thing that really differentiates us from any other type of organization that does good, the gospel of peace. As we're doing good, the gospel of peace should go out. As we're fighting for justice, the gospel should go out. One of the things I love about our churches in Latin America, they're good at that. They give medical care, but they get the gospel. It's not a bait and switch. It's both and but they get it. We can't forget that. We can't forget people are drowning, so to speak. We can't forget it. We are a life-saving station, and you and I, if we're believers, are on the life-saving crew. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the free gift of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that there is security in that. Love that imagery that Jesus gives us of that we are his sheep and he, we hear his voice and, and he calls us and he knows us and no one's going to snatch us out of his hand. Lord, thank you for that imagery. We can have confidence if we're saved. We can have confidence in our relationship with God and in that confidence we can stand. We can stand against the enemy when the doubts come, when the lies come. And Lord, help us not only be steady on our feet, but help us to be ready on our feet. Help us, God. Oh, give us, give us the love that Jesus has for the lost. Let the love of Christ, as it says in one place of Scripture, compel us. Control us. Make us do things we wouldn't do. Take risks we wouldn't take for the gospel. Lord, help us to believe in our heart that the gospel of God is the the power of God for salvation. And that it must be delivered at all costs. Help us, Lord. I think about how Paul, in the, in, the, in the latter part of this section we're studying right now in Ephesians, he asked for prayer for boldness. Give us boldness, God. Let us not shrink back. We don't want to beat people up with the gospel. But we want to love them enough to say things, to have conversations that are risky because we love people. Lord, help us to live in a way where we're in such communion with you that when we're with people, we're praying to you, we're asking for wisdom, and we're asking for gracious speech, and we'll open our mouth and deliver what, needs to, what they need to hear. And maybe it's an encouraging word. Maybe it's an offer of prayer. Maybe it's the gospel itself. But Lord, 
let our speech be seasoned with salt. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being called to the life-saving crib. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.